Let's look at Florida, that most southern projection of the USA, which has been variously known as the Peninsula State, the Sunshine State, and even the Mermaid State. For the uninitiated, the mere mention of the word Florida calls up a kaleidoscopic mental picture of flamingos and alligators, boating, bathing beauties, and bottles of suntan oil, citrus fruit and palm trees, and always an azure sky. Unlike some visions of El Dorado, the Florida dream is not too far removed from the realm of reality. Come see now for yourself. The woke agenda has caused millions of Americans to leave these jurisdictions for greener pastures. Now this great exodus of Americans, for those folks, Florida, for so many of them, has served as the promised land. We, we have embraced freedom. We have maintained law and order. We have protected the rights of parents. We have respected our taxpayers, and we reject woke ideology. We fight the woke in the legislature. We fight the woke in the schools. We fight the woke in the corporations. We will never, ever surrender to the woke mob. Florida is where woke goes to die. Welcome to another episode of Wetwire. Today, we're navigating the swamps of the subtropical paradise where woke goes to die. I'm Julian Paul Butt. And I'm Sean Andes. Before we talk about the culture wars in Florida, or anything else really, I want to take a moment to acknowledge that yet another mass shooting took place today, the day that we're recording, on Monday, March 27th. This time it was at a Christian school in Nashville, Tennessee. This was also the 12th school shooting this year, and the 130th mass shooting. Instead of talking about access to firearms or accepting any responsibility for elevating the rhetoric around violence, we're hearing that the issue is that the alleged shooter was a trans mask person, or at least identified as a male. Marjorie Taylor Greene has been out there publicly questioning whether male hormone therapy might have contributed to the shooting. We're about to talk about Florida as a focal point of the culture wars. This is what we mean by a culture war. It's when we have real issues to deal with, like gun violence and easy, virtually uncontrolled access to guns. But instead of sincerely addressing any of that, or acknowledging that it's even a problem, we get dragged into a conversation about puberty blockers. The people deflecting and prevaricating don't care about solving really any issues. They don't care that more people are killed by guns in this country than in auto accidents, or that the US has more gun-related deaths per capita than any of the world's wealthiest nations. Bill Hyde, the governor of Tennessee, signed legislation a while back that allows for banning drag shows to keep the children safe even though there has never been any evidence that any children have ever been harmed in connection with a drag event. But guns, on the other hand. Last year, Bill Hyde was the same governor who also signed a bill to allow concealed handgun carrying without a permit. He called that part of his public safety agenda. I'm not saying that that legislation allowed for this event to happen or anything like that. But it is definitely time that we stop pretending that any of these politicians like Hyde are one bit concerned with anything beyond just finding donors for their next campaign. It's worth pointing out that we covered in a previous episode where there's smoke, there's firearms, exactly what goes into how we talk about guns in this country and the culture behind it. And really, 
whichever side of the issue we're discussing, the issue is not solving problems. That is not what these politicians are concerned. And it's it's not the, it's not what the politicians are concerned with. It's not what mo- what many of the of the news organizations are concerned with. There was a I mean, yeah, it's this is about this is a Fox News story now. There, there was a <laughs> Fox News was filming uh, their anchor live giving a report uh, nearby to where the shooting occurred. And there happened to be a woman in the crowd who was on vacation and she was in her home state had just been involved in a mass shooting. You know, as she's talking and giving making a whole lot of sense about how our loose gun laws actually allow firearms to travel into Mexico and exacerbate the violence there. In, but instead of paying of having in, anything to say about any of that, they just sort of drifted the camera away and started filming the traffic jam next to the next to the site where the incident <laughs> occurred. And you know, I I I think that of the two of us, uh, I'm I'm probably a little bit more absolutist about my pro gun ideas. And I mean, if I were to be a politician and have policies, they'd be pretty fucking pro gun. But I think no matter which way we slice it, none of these things are focusing the attention on actually the problem, and they're all about catching headlines to advance either uh, the journalist's narrative or the politician's uh, career and talking point at that particular moment. But none of it has to do with the substance of what's happening. No, nobody has any any interest whatsoever in talking about how firearms are fetishized. Nobody has any interest yeah. in whatsoever talking about or accepting responsibility, like I said a moment ago, for the the acceleration of violent rhetoric. There are flags yeah. going around at Trump's rally recently that just took place in Waco, of all places, on the anniversary of the the storming of the Branch Davidian compound. Without any irony. With that, well, yeah, with no irony whatsoever, of course. But at, at that event, there were people flying flags that said Trump or die. <laughs> yeah. The last time that those flags, that flags uh, that said something similar to that were being flown, they meant it. You know that was yeah. that was part of that was part of the the slogans to to get people going in favor of the American Revolution. That wasn't it wasn't empty, and I, I don't think any sort of dancing around this now is fooling anybody into thinking that it's empty now. But that's exactly what they do. They act as if they didn't say the thing that they're overtly saying. There's that famous Maya Maya Angelou quote. When someone tells you who they are, believe them. I think that's probably I've seen that passed around quite a lot recently because there there are a lot of people who are very they're very caught on to all this and they are trying to spread the word. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. With with, that with all said, that said, with, with back- that uh that very that, <laughs> on that very somber note, we're gonna talk about. What exactly is wrong with Florida? (laughs) (laughs) Because that figures into this in a very deep sort of way. Not as a cause, but as a symptom. Uh, Sir, uh, I believe you've caught a case of Florida. Is it is it serious? I'm afraid it's terminal. (laughs) Oh, Sean's going to cut that. The land of palm trees, power lifters and oranges has taken a hard right turn in recent years. 
It's been known for decades for its sunny beaches, Caribbean culture, snowbirds, and retirees. Florida has been a mixed bag for decades as a melting pot of the South and the Global South. And until recently, it was also a massive swing state. But since 2020, Ron DeSantis began to tell a story of a different Florida. Right. No, no longer will Florida be just a dangling penis <laughs> d- dipping itself into the Atlantic, taking a, taking a piss off of the dock of the United States. <laughs> the, it is going to be the beacon of conservatism. <laughs> but why is it Florida? And why Ron? That is exactly the question that we had when we thought of doing this episode was what the fuck is going on with Florida? Why is all this shit happening there? And why Ron DeSantis, of all people? If they could find somebody who was more of a dud, I don't know how they would. I don't. I, he, <laughs> he, he's such a weird dude. Uh, he's so he has so many strange mannerisms and he has that sort of that squeaky voice I, this is the, the worst kind of person to prop up in front of a crowd and, and start rallying everybody together. But yet here he is, and he is really making a go of it, sort of. And what makes the conditions in Florida just right for it to hatch this breed of swamp monster? If we're going to hear Ron tell the story of Florida, he sees himself as a shining knight the last of the Ronald Reagan Republicans, a valiant crusader fighting the liberal elites and the woke Soros-funded operatives and their globalist agendas. Which, spoiler alert, uh, it's usually a dog whistle for the Jews. To fight this fight, DeSantis had to roll up his sleeves and get his hands a little dirty. He has never rolled up his sleeves or gotten his hands dirty in his entire life. You saw those Not boots that he wore life. to the hurricane, right? <laughs> these these horrific... And by the way, everybody who's listening right now, pause. If you haven't seen it, search... Don't ever tell anybody to leave the show. They, we need to keep them here. We, we need to give them... We don't, we don't want to send them away. <laughs> All right. Keep listening. And look up an image search of Ron DeSantis in his white boots, his little galoshes. <laughs> or, or you could find a try to find a picture of him in the boots that that uh, the Trump supporters have been making fun of that when they say that he's been wearing lifts and you see these like three inch sole, these, these like three inch heels. His uh, his I think it was his press secretary he called them Cuban boots. <laughs> <laughs> and uh of course uh, he has jorts yeah yeah he's a big he's a big uh cut off jean shorts fan he talks about that in his latest book how he showed up to yale with flip-flops and jean shorts on because he didn't realize it was yale i, I, don't, I don't understand <laughs> like he thought he, I, I don't know what he makes it seem like some sort of culture clash that, you know, he was just a small town boy. And, you know, this is how you do things all casual, like in the panhandle. But but he didn't realize he was getting accepted to Yale. And so he showed up in jean shorts and flip flops. Ahead of this episode, uh, I read the book, uh, his his horrible new book. Uh, you did you did you did you suffer through all of it? No. Why would anybody read all of that book? 
No, I, I read about a third of it and I thought that I, I had a pretty good idea of what the guy was all about, especially since he, he swears up and down that he wrote it all himself and he had no help from anybody. So I get a, I have a pretty good picture of DeSantis. Yeah. Oh, I believe it. There's, there's no way a professional was paid to write this book. One of the ways that DeSantis has been fighting the woke agenda has been good old fashioned top down big government nanny state legislation. DeSantis went on the attack on college campuses that acknowledged diversity. He took over the Liberal Arts College, New College of Florida, and appointed six far-right people, including Chris Rufo, to the Board of Trustees. Florida, unfortunately, isn't the only state to pass a bunch of anti-trans, discriminatory-type legislation. And it wasn't even the first, but there, I, I don't think anybody can deny that there is something of a nexus here. There is there for a number of reasons. Florida has been in the spotlight and not without not without effort on the part of people like DeSantis. It has been positioning itself in the front of this culture war fight. Let's take a look at a few of the bills that DeSantis has supported or passed. One that's still in progress. It's already passed through the House and is going to the Senate is House Bill 999. I imagine that clip it where Hitler in one of those movies is saying nine, nine, nine. It's in it's SB 266 in the Senate at the moment, and it's most likely going to pass because they control both chambers and it's absolutely going to be signed by him. It eliminates or severely respect restricts programs that include diversity, equity or inclusion. I mean, could you imagine like you're drafting this bill and we're going to draft a bill to to specifically restrict diversity, equity and inclusion? <laughs> like you're not allowed to do it. <laughs> you are not allowed to be diverse, equitable or inclusive. It's mind boggling to me how you can say out loud, I oppose diversity in, in 2023. I mean, yeah, maybe maybe in other eras and, and nobody bats an eye at it. It would ban majors in gender studies and women's history and critical race theory, of course, and intersectionality. That And that's expected to go through pretty soon here. People should note here, too, that, the, that this is referring to banning these courses and areas of study in a university. In this Florida isn't talking university's about- universities plural. Yeah, this, this isn't talking about not teaching- kids these things like the the don't say gay bill which we'll get soon we'll get to pretty soon this is talking about now we're talking about college kids i want to point this out because this is how things are switched up at first it's about protecting children and that's the angle that's being used and then once everybody sort of like gets used to that a little bit it's like changing the temperature in the bathtub once it gets warmed up a little bit and it, it doesn't feel so hot anymore then they raise the temperature a little bit more. And it's not about protecting children anymore. Who said that? When who was ever saying that? No, our concern was about, you know, was was about gender studies from the very beginning. You know, now now we're trying to protect adults that are at a university from what? Knowing that things exist. That's the whole the whole agenda is protecting adults from knowing that things exist. They do this vernacular bait and switch with other things too. You had Christopher Rufo and Tucker Carlson and then and the rest of the lot using critical race theory 
as as the main thing that they're attacking. It's it's this Marxist conspiracy and and so on and so forth. Then once they have a a firmly established narrative that has been absolutely driven into the ground, then they can say, well, well, this is really just terms that are indicative of other things. So when you hear inclusion or diversity, don't be fooled by the liberal elites, because anytime you hear any of those words, they really mean critical race theory, which really means Marxism, which really, and, and it goes on. But once they, once they are able to embed that narrative and, and have that foundation, then they start attaching all sorts of other terms and claiming that they're, that they're dog whistles. And that's where we get to the point of something like diversity being a, a, a terrible thing that, that is the villain of this story. Well, that's what the Republican financiers have been saying about the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. They were too woke. <laughs> they, were, they, were, they, were, they were too focused on I, diversity and, and wokeness, and that's why they lost track of the money. And, and I think that was what, because they had like a black guy on the board? Well, and a couple of women. It, it was a black woman, but yeah, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> the next one is Fairness in Women's Sports Act, which was passed in 2021. This law says that women and girls must play on the teams of the biological sex on their birth certificate. That law would not bar female athletes from playing on boys' or men's teams, however. DeSantis had this to say about it. We're going to go based on biology. Not based on ideology when we're doing sports. Oh, my God. And, of course, he said that with no irony. Well, I don't think he understands irony. But the it's, yeah, <laughs> I don't think any of these people really understand irony. They, they, don't, they don't seem to express any sense of humor whatsoever. There, there seems to be no people there. Yeah, it's just, it's a bunch of <laughs> reptiles making laws. Whoa, whoa, whoa. All right, calm down, David Icke. Yeah, I know. <laughs> HB 1467, which passed in 2022. This is one of many book bans that were sweeping the country. This particular book ban requires that books in schools be pre-approved materials or vetted by a media specialist trained by Florida's Department of Education. Florida teachers were warned that it could be a third-degree felony to have books accessible to students that aren't approved. This is in classrooms, libraries, and it applies to teachers and librarians. And this part is a little bit murky. Uh, the notion here that it could be a third-degree felony was because this law is essentially tacked on to another law about the... Uh, uh, the distribution of materials that are effectively obscene or, or, or sexual to minors. So in and of itself, this particular one didn't have the felony, the third degree felony, but it is basically uh, another layer in the cake on a different obscenity law. And that's a mark of a lot of this legislation, a lot of this kind of legislation in Florida and in other places is either sloppy language or in or possibly intentionally vague language. I I, I don't I, I don't have any way of assigning the intention of the person saying it. Yeah, exactly. I don't have any way of assigning intention, but there there's all this room, and this has come up. What, what was it? In, it was in Ohio, or what state was that that had 
they they had legisl- anti-trans legislation that critics were saying could be interpret tr- interpreted to make treatment for breast cancer illegal, which it would include like performing a mastectomy as part of oh, breast cancer I, treatment. I think it was Ohio or, or Idaho, maybe. And so the, you end up with this possibly unintended vagueness or this general ver- uh, murkiness that has been put there intentionally so that it can be interpreted in any way with the people they they want to interpret. So that means that, well, that means that they could potentially arrest some doctor for pers- performing a procedure and, and have a lot of leeway as far as the arrest and sentencing. It goes the other way, too, by having a chilling effect which is a phrase that I've read in article after article after article about this use of vague language where whether or not when it goes to the courts, any of this would hold up, the effect still is is almost as if it, it was just as bad because then people want to be overly cautious because they don't want to find out in court which way the this ends up. They want to just take every precaution possible. And notably when we have school districts and principals and so forth who are, who are giving guidance to their, to their teachers, uh, they're, they're saying, well, just to be safe, since we have no idea how this lands because it's so vague, we're going to err on the side of caution. I mean, right. the, the erring mention on the of side of caution felony, is erring on the side of caution is the chilling effect. That's exactly the chilling effect. In fact, some of the instruction to these teachers in Florida in different districts uh, and it was inconsistent by the way but some of it specifically mentioned the third degree felony uh right in the materials about guidance and all of these press conferences that DeSantis and the the and his department of education have been uh, have been leading and participating in where they talk about it's not a book ban it's not this it's not that none of that is law they can say whatever they want to say in a press conference that is not the law that is just what they say about the law. Yeah. It is up to the courts to to interpret these laws. And that is unclear. So the courts are going to swing all kinds of different directions, depending on the individual judges, depending on the attorneys that argue these cases. These are these once these things start getting tested, they're going to go out all sorts of different directions. And it doesn't matter what DeSantis has it doesn't matter what DeSantis has said they these laws were, because that's not what's on the paper. That's not what the legislature voted on. That's not what he signed. He didn't sign off on his own press conference as the legislation. <laughs> so yeah. it doesn't, no matter how many, he keeps putting out these flyers. And that's the reason I'm mentioning all this is that his office keeps putting out all these, these charts about why it's not a book ban. And then they, they have the, they have these, you know, this table that like very like nicely laid out table about how it's not a book ban. None of that is coming from any any attorneys or like legal advocates for the teachers on how to keep the teachers safe. This is coming from directly from his press office and from him. So it means nothing, but it's meant to calm people down. It's meant to calm the media down. It's meant to like deflect all of this attention about how egregious all this is so that they can just move on and do the next thing. Part of all this attention is coming from images and video that are quite real of just just uh, shelves and shelves and shelves that are completely barren and, or covered up and that that make the 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 classroom libraries and school libraries absolutely inaccessible while they're trying to wade through this shit and figure it out 
and and DeSantis is saying, oh, that's that's all a lie. This is fake news and, and the rest of it. No, these these images are absolutely real. And these are the exact consequences of of this legislation, because these teachers don't want a third degree felony. Or even if they were so brave to keep books, uh, the administration is saying, here's what you need to be doing. We need to pull these books until we can figure out which way this law is going to go come down. Well, that brings us to another act. <laughs> the next one is a Stop Woke Act, which was passed in 2022. And that is a, a very cleverly uh, an, an, an acronym for Stop Wrongs to Our Kids and Employees. God, anything they could figure That's out so to turn awful. into the word woke. <laughs> it bans workplace trainings or school instruction on race or sex that could make some people feel, quote, guilt or, quote, anguish. So this is the Stop People from Feeling Bad Act. <laughs> it has also been, it, luckily, this one has been unenforced. Something, something snowflakes? Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> this, this one, luckily, has been unenforceable since an injunction from a Florida state judge last year. So, again... The legislation goes through. It's up to the courts to interpret it. They decided that, it, that there was a problem. And I don't I don't remember the detail about this one, but it most likely was in opposition to something that's established in the Florida State Constitution. But Ron DeSantis had, had this to say about it. In Florida, we are taking a stand against the state-sanctioned racism that is critical race theory. We won't allow Florida tax dollars to be spent teaching kids to hate our country or to hate each other. We also have a responsibility to ensure that parents have the means to vindicate their rights when it comes to enforcing state standards. Finally, we must protect Florida workers against the hostile work environment that is created when large corporations force their employees to endure CRT-inspired training and indoctrination. So what they mean is uh, that half an hour seminar that you have to go to on how not to sexually harass people or... Or, or tell or how not how not to tell racist jokes anymore at work. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's they, all. They're, oh, that's they're all saving, over. They're 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 saving you from from uh, that politically correct uh, seminar. That's right. Humor is back, folks. You can, <laughs> in, in Florida, you can tell all the sexist jokes you want. It's it's a Roseanne paradise where pronouns are kiss my ass again. Next up is don't say gay, which was passed in 2022. Also. The Florida Parental Rights in Education Act bans classroom discussion about sexual orientation or gender identity. This is all part of that gender ideology that the, the conservatives have been railing about. We shouldn't even call them conservatives anymore. We should just call them reactionaries. They don't they don't care about conserving the size of government. They don't care about. Yeah, that, about it's not it's not a liberties. word that makes any. Yeah, it's not a word that makes any sense anymore. It doesn't apply to really anybody. <laughs> it really doesn't. The Don't Say Gay Bill says classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur in kindergarten through grade three or in a manner that is not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students in accordance with the state standards. That phrasing in a manner that is not age appropriate has been used to extend this to mean that it's applying to not just kinder through third, 
that whatever they think is not age appropriate also needs to be outlawed. And uh, while this this has a some some degree of a lack of specificity to it in in that second part, it's pretty clear that uh, you can't talk about sexual orientation or gender identity in K through three, and that could potentially mean if you want to interpret it this way, mentioning that you have a, a same-sex spouse, for example. Or it could include that, that children are coming up to you and, and uh, asking about something related, and you literally cannot respond to the child uh, 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 literally about the facts. Like you, you have to basically say, go ask your parents. And not about anything explicit or, or, or particularly um, sexual. Just acknowledging sexual orientation or gender identity, and by this they mean not straight. That's really what they mean. And because, like we said, all of this stuff is a moving target for them, they start off with protecting the kids, and then they just keep inching it forward. And so now, like like Jules just said, it's it's open to interpretation because of that that section about developmentally appropriate to expand to all grades, even though the original intent was through from kindergarten through grade three, they're already moving in that direction to expand this into later grades. I'm Amy Driscoll, recording in the WLRN studios in downtown Miami. I'm joined by Miami Herald Opinion team members, Lauren Costantino and Nancy Ankrum. We all know about Florida's Don't Say Gay law from last year, but now there's a 2.0 version reigniting the debate. The Child Protection and Public Schools Act would build on the Parental Rights and Education Act and expand the prohibition against instruction on sexual orientation and gender identity through the eighth grade. Right now, that ban exists from kindergarten through third, and any discussion with older students has to be considered age appropriate. The new proposal would allow the state to restrict how preferred pronouns can be used in the classroom as well, even though parents may be okay with it. And there are a couple of other bills that we should probably talk about that focus on sexuality and gender. One would ban gender-affirming care for minors, and the other is aimed at drag shows, restricting venues from allowing children to attend drag shows if there's sexual content, including lewd exposure of prosthetic breasts. It's all part of Governor Ron DeSantis' battle against what he terms gender ideology. And of course, it's set against the backdrop of him presumably running for the Republican nomination for the presidency. Um, let's hear what the governor had to say on the subject. I think the, the, the topic of things like gender ideology, uh, I think, is inappropriate. I mean, you're having these kids and they're basically being told, well, yeah, you may not be a boy. You may be a girl. Parents don't want that. Uh, I don't think they want any of this stuff uh, there. I don't think it's true that that's necessarily how most school districts approach it. But my view on the original one, if you read it, it said K-3, but it also said beyond that had to be a developmentally age appropriate. So school boards are in a situation where they can make that judgment. And I think most of the school boards that we have now probably would make a similar judgment anyways. There may be some that aren't. And so this would be the baseline. And then the school districts would be able to potentially do more. But we need to focus on the basics of academics. The real kicker with all this is that this doesn't require legislative approval. This is going to be scheduled for a vote next month before the State Board of Education, which is led by a DeSantis appointee. And that part at the end of DeSantis's speech at the end is uh, about school boards being able to, quote, do more is really just code so that we're going to leave the door open so that we can pack local school boards with ultra conservatives, which has been the DeSantis plan for years. He's, he's been talking about this. 
about the Freedom Blueprint. And the Freedom <laughs> Blueprint is about packing school boards with conservative members so that you can influence state education programs. This is this is very similar to the model that we saw with the Moms for Liberty. I, I don't want to call it a movement, but Moms for Liberty and, and, and the, the, the associated tactics and, and uh, uh, policies that were being pushed. No, these are all cut from these are all cutouts from the same books. It's exactly the same approach, except it's coming from the top down this time. It's coming from the head of the state versus coming from, you know, some allegedly grassroots organization like Moms for Liberty. Like, but otherwise, the the end result is exactly the same. They want to fill the school boards so that they can control the education programs. They also want copycats. This this is absolutely the use of the word blueprint is is right, perfect yeah. for this uh, there there's at least a dozen other states that copied this bill in various forms alabama arizona georgia iowa louisiana south carolina missouri indiana kentucky oklahoma tennessee ohio the, the, all like not necessarily word for word but pretty fucking close copying this bill after it came out and made national attention this has got national attention huh Got national attention. And got national attention. <laughs> what did I say? I said made national attention. Yeah, what is that? Was... Who talks like that? <laughs> made national news. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, first you're trying to constrain my pronouns, and now you want to constrain my verbs. Sean, this is just another attack from the woke left. Am I the woke left? I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were the woke left. I, well, usually. <laughs> this is from the AP. The rule change would ban lessons on sexual orientation and gender identity from grades 4 to 12, unless required by existing state standards or as part of reproductive health instruction that, that students can choose not to take. The initial law that DeSantis championed last spring bans those lessons in kindergarten through the third grade. The change was first reported by the Orlando Sentinel. DeSantis has leaned heavily into cultural divides on his path to an anticipated White House bid, with the Republican aggressively pursuing a conservative agenda that targets what he calls the insertion of inappropriate subjects in schools. We're going to travel briefly to Disney Town. Almost 500 years ago, the first contingents of adventurous men sailed across the ocean to open up a new world. One of the first places they set foot upon was a bit of land that is now the state of Florida, USA. Of course, there have been quite a few changes since then, and the new world has come a long way. But now, squarely in the middle of the very same bit of land, another new world has been opened up. Walt Disney World. It's so good. I just cannot... I, I, it's just so completely good. It, it really is. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't sure if you were letting it go long on purpose or if, if you misread it. It really is so good. I know it's all bullshit. I know it is all complete bullshit. But at the same time... Man, they did such a good job just pulling on your emotional strings to create this whole world. They really did. 
they did something really exceptional there. Hearing that that narrator's voice in the beginning talking about Florida, I remember those shows, watching those things when I was a kid, and and it just brings me right back to it, hearing that gravelly, deep voice. They were so expert at this to to create, evoke these emotional reactions out of people and to give you that fantasy you're you're instantly transported oh, into you really are. this this fantastic world and i know it's bullshit but at the same time the part that it's the part of me that it's talking to i mean some of it's nostalgia but even the part now all the you know the the modern version of me not the kid that's inside me it still draws me in because there it's not an intellectual thing. I can know it's bullshit and still be drawn into it, <laughs> into this fantasy. Yeah, that is that is a good specific point that is relevant for this whole episode. Yeah. This is the last 60 Minutes broadcast for the season, a time of year when the ubiquitous American tourist sets out in search of diversion. Well, the biggest tourist season anywhere this summer could just be down in Florida's Orange County, where the $400 million Disney World is enjoying its first year in operation. By all indications, it'll be the most prosperous summer that Orange County has ever known. Hotels are booked solid for months ahead, land prices are soaring there, and more new tourist attractions are on the way. 60 Minutes went down to Orange County to take a look behind all this instant prosperity. It was the kind of place the Chamber of Commerce used to tout as a perfect retirement community. Ranch country, orange groves, cheap living, ideal weather. And best of all, it hadn't really caught on the way the beach resorts and retirement towns had. But then in the early 60s, a fellow named Walt Disney began to buy up land in this part of central Florida. It was going to be the biggest Disney enterprise of all, dwarfing the famous Disneyland out in California. 27,000 acres of Florida scrub pine to be transformed into the world's largest resort complex. It would put Orange County, Florida on the map. And so it has. Last October, Mickey Mouse finally arrived in Orange County, and he's been a smash ever since. Mickey's smiling because he's been looking in the direction of the Disney World turnstiles. 30,000 paying customers a day have been coming through them. Predictions for the first year of operation? over 10 million visitors. And Disney World is much more than just an amusement park. It's a whole resort complex with beaches, hotels, golf courses, restaurants. In fact, thanks to special laws passed by the Florida State Legislature, Disney World has managed to set itself apart from the local counties with its own sewerage and garbage disposal systems, its own security patrol, fire department, and transportation system. On the Disney property, which is twice the size of Manhattan Island, are two separate cities, wholly owned by the Disney Corporation, with the same powers of eminent domain and taxation as any other city in the United States. And it all works. It's the dream that many Americans yearn for. But outside the gates of Disney World, the fantasy becomes jarring reality. First of all, the biggest traffic jams in the county's history. I think leaving that part about outside the Disney zone, the fantasy becomes reality. <laughs> we should leave that. <laughs> that. Actually, yeah, that'd be pretty good. Since 1967, Disney, located near Orlando, Florida, has enjoyed a special quasi-governmental status. 
Disney controls the Reedy Creek Improvement District, which includes two cities as a local government. It has the, quote, same authority and responsibility as a county government. Disney elects Disney to manage the Disney district and taxes Disney to pay for the district. <laughs> it, it gets deeper than that, and it's, it's wackier the deeper it gets. It's a longtime heavyweight behind the scenes in Florida politics. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't, don't just say it gets deeper than that and not say how it gets deeper. All right. Well, all right. It gets deeper in that there's a requirement that in order to have votes, you have to have a, uh, you have to own land in, dist- in, in the Disney district. And it owns something like 85%. And then apportions a certain amount of the votes to a board of five it's super creepy and mildly undemocratic in their in oh no this is like a fascist this is like a corporal fascist paradise yeah <laughs> <laughs> like it, it, it's, it's exact this is what every every fascist like corporate dictatorship is dreamed of where the gov where some company controls everything <laughs> yeah I, and that includes police uh the fire department and and so on for the whole district and they they can do zoning and uh uh regulations as long as they conform like any other district conform with the state laws and federal laws and and everything else they are a municipality in and of themselves they have been a longtime heavyweight behind the scenes in florida politics Disney has often advocated for its own interests when new state legislation has been proposed. After DeSantis passed the don't say which makes perfect sense. Oh, of course. I mean, I mean that makes sense. Yeah, I mean this is this is exactly what corporations always do. As soon as they have some influence in 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 local political matters, they always exert it. They they always and like just to be able to get the things that they want. They influence the way zoning works out. They influence how funds are allocated. They influence how contracts are are dispersed. They or are awarded. They they always influence the the local governments. And when you have a disproportionate relationship or yeah a disproportionate relationship like a giant corporation like Disney in relation to these local municipalities and, you know, and the state of Florida, the state government of Florida itself. Yeah, it's going to exert its influence when it can. Absolutely. That's the problem. I can't stress this enough how bizarre this is. This is not the company town per se, uh, which which is a little bit different because even even when you had the company town, you know, that owned the, the coal mine or something like that, at the very least in those cases, the municipality or or the town where the employees aren't getting paid in Disney bucks. <laughs> They're not getting paid in Disney bucks. <laughs> but in this case, this is the only occasion where Disney is the municipality. They are the government in in this district, in these two cities. It's not that they influence the government, they are the government. Well, they influence the state is what I was saying. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. That's how they got this deal is because they influenced the state because they were so giant. And they got it really quick. I mean, as soon as 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 uh, as it was proposed in 67, it was immediately passed by the state and signed into law. And then uh, uh, the the court confirmed their powers of an eminent domain and, and other things uh, within a year that, that made everything legitimate. 
and and it's been since 1967 honky dory but there was there was no resistance it was about as soon as they wanted it they got it after desantis passed the don't say gay bill disney employees spoke publicly protesting that their company wasn't openly openly speaking out against it i have no doubt that disney execs do not give a shit about their what their employees think because no executives care about what their employees think. <laughs> but I, th- I am absolutely convinced, on the other hand, that Disney execs do believe that culture war fights like DeSantis's are extremely bad for tourism in Florida. I mean, yeah. look at the reputation that this state has. And Disney is banking on people traveling there. Yeah. They don't want people to have a bad taste in their mouth when they think of orange juice. They want people to come and go to the park. So when they decided to speak out against it, even after it took them a while, it's only because they don't want to be known as the anti-trans or anti-gay state. In Georgia, I think it was recently that they they passed some kind of voter ID law that got a lot of national backlash and and uh, uh, sports teams were rescheduling events and, and thing, things like that. DeSantis mentions it in his book. This is why it's fresh on my memory. Uh, and and uh, yeah, absolutely. That that plays into it where it's still all about profit, but the bottom line is still affected by people's opinions of your state being a fascist dystopia. Yeah. And, and honestly, the, the Disney execs, they don't care if Florida is a fascist dystopia. They don't care if people do do if it actually is an anti-trans, an anti-gay state. They just don't want people to think of them in association with that. Yeah. They don't want people to think of of Disney as being associated with those things. They have to come out against it. There's no way they can't. To that point, Bob Shapek, during his brief stint as a Disney CEO, Shapek? Chapek? I was just going to say, like, I don't even know. Is it Chapek? Is it Chapek? I have no idea. Who's to this say? This guy was CEO for, like... I don't know, less than two years, I think. It was really no, maybe brief. it was longer than that because he was the CEO through COVID. But basically, Bob Iger retired, who was like the CEO for like 17 years. Yeah, so Bob Iger retired, who was the CEO for something like 17 years. And Bob Chapik, Bob Chapik, Chapik, whatever, Shapik? Be- became CEO <laughs> Shapek. <laughs> Became the CEO and lasted a year and a half, maybe two years. At any rate, he's already gone and Bob Iger is now back <laughs> because the evidently they wanted somebody just like Bob Iger. And then somebody said, why don't we just call Bob Iger? And <laughs> now he now he has returned. <laughs> Play, play, anyway. Playing the role of the, Bob Iger, we have famous <laughs> actor Bob Iger. <laughs> yeah, I, I read something from like the some Tallahassee paper that was talking about this. And the I probably pulled half of what I just said straight from that article and un, unintentionally. But the what they, they put they had a quote from somebody, a react quote. And the guy said that uh, it, Bob Chapek wasn't exactly the CEO that you'd get from central casting. <laughs> and like, what kind of Hollywood bullshit thing to say is that? You know, like, 
God. <laughs> anyway, th- this is what Chapik Here's had what to say. Bob said. This is yeah. This is oh, what I'm he sorry, had to the say. The other Bob. Th- this is what Chapik had to Chapik. say while it. Would you let me finish this? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> God. This is what Chapik had to say while he was still the CEO. We were opposed to the bill from the outset, but we chose not to take a public position on it because we thought we could be more effective working behind the scenes, engaging directly with lawmakers on both sides of the aisle. Which is really just code for saying we thought we could leverage our relationship with the state legislature in the back room much better than we could in front of a podium. Specifically with the various Republican and Democratic politicians that we've already purchased. Yeah. <laughs> well, they changed their tune. Did we cut the, did we cut the part about the about their about no, the no, politician no, no. It's, that it's, they it's actually bought? No, it's in a second. Oh, okay, yeah. all right. <laughs> Just Disney pretty quickly changed their course and came out from behind the curtain or the closet maybe and signed the human rights campaign statement opposing similar legislative efforts. They also pledged $5 million to organizations working to protect LGBTQ plus rights. Disney, the economic behemoth and Florida municipality for over a half century, was now publicly in opposition to DeSantis's legislation. So as all of you know, we uh, made the decision uh, last year uh, to go in a different direction with respect to how Disney is governed. And since the 1960s, they've enjoyed privileges unlike any company or individual in the state of Florida has ever enjoyed. Uh, they, of course, controlled their own government uh, right here in central Florida. Uh, they had exemptions from laws that everybody else uh, had to follow, uh, and they were able to get huge amounts of benefits without paying their fair share of taxes, and even racked up $700 million worth of municipal debt. So we had a a little bit of a tussle last year over uh, school legislation, and and Disney came out uh, against something that was really just about protecting young kids and making sure that students are able to go to school learning to read, write, add, and subtract, and not having a teacher tell them that they can change their gender. And I think most parents agree with that. Uh, but, you know, that was only a mild annoyance. I think that what we came to realize after that dust settled on that uh, was you clearly had a movement within the corporation itself, of course, Burbank, California-based elements of it, that said it's their job or it's their goal to inject a lot of this sexuality into the programming for young kids. So uh, I'm going to put my John Hancock on this piece of legislation. That'll that'll make it official. And so just look at your watch and you'll know at what time the corporate kingdom finally came to an end. The guy is such a dick. He's 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 not only a dick, he's such a fucking goober. Something I realized watching this clip again and looking at him closely this time is that the more that DeSantis ages, the more he looks like Ted Cruz. (laughs) I don't know if he looks exactly like a blobfish, per se. Oh, no. Look at him. Look how big his ears have gotten. He's pretty young and his ears have already gotten quite large. (laughs) 
No, he's gonna look just like he's gonna look look just like Cruz. <laughs> the the whole thing too with this is that you know, like like you said, they they've this is like the fuck around and find out moment for DeSantis. You know, the, the corporation stands up to him and it provides this perfect ammunition for DeSantis to to go ahead and push back on it. It was it was exactly what they needed. It was the right villain at the right time. And what a weird fucking villain to have. But it was it was it was hand delivered to him. They want to address the the money in politics and the, the and corporate influence. They want to address wokeness. They want to go after all these things. And the Disney just basically just like set up a softball for all of it. So I was trying to, to give you a delivery for your line right there, but you would not let me do it. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't realize that. You're, I thought you were trying to play the second clip. No, I did already. <laughs> no, no, no. There's 1150 to 1205. Did you play that? Yeah. Oh, fuck. <laughs> wow. You gave me a perfect fucking delivery and everything. Ah, <laughs> I tried twice. <laughs> I didn't. I no. I I thought that you hadn't played the second clip and you were stalling and and talking in between clips. God damn it! <laughs> no. All right. I'm just gonna say it. Desantis said to Disney, "Fuck me, fuck you," At which it's <laughs> it's kind of fucking weird. His his relation to Disney. Where he and his wife, Casey, got married in Disney World, which he also mentions in his fucking awful book. In case you're getting the impression that Disney is the hero in the story, uh, they're not. I'm not sure if anybody was actually thinking that, but they're going to go wherever the wind is blowing. And that's exactly what they have done. They they thought that all the colors of the wind were going in the rainbow direction for this next quarter right after funding a ton of anti-gay legislators just like a good corporation always hedging their bets <laughs> yeah and this is judd legum legume that doesn't seem right how would you pronounce that legum legum he's not a legume he's legum <laughs> a nice vegetable judd judd legum at popular info published this recently Florida Representative Adam Anderson, Republican, introduced a bill that would, among other things, ban the use of pronouns that don't align with a student's or employee's sex at birth. According to the bill, a person's sex is an immutable biological trait and that it is false to ascribe to a person a pronoun that does not correspond to such person's sex. Anderson was elected in 2002 with financial support from a number of corporate donors, including Disney. The company donated a total of $2,000 to Anderson on July 23rd, 2021, according to Florida campaign finance records. Anderson wasn't the only one. In another article that Judd wrote in the same publication, he explains, In the last two years, Disney has donated $249,126 to members of the Florida legislature that voted for the Don't Say Gay legislation and $50,000 to Florida Governor Ron DeSantis's campaign. <laughs> they're, they're, I mean, it's coming out against something, but secretly funding the people that did it in the first place. That's just par for the course. It's just normal operations. That is what every corporation is doing. 
Disney miscalculated how petty and thin-skinned Ron could be and how untouchable they thought they were. Yeah, Bob thought that DeSantis' shitty legislation would be bad for Florida's reputation and affect travel and vacation to the state. So he decided he was just going to call up some people (laughs) and pull a couple of strings. The part that he really messed up is that he thought he had a lot more influence that his contributions or the company's contributions had purchased a lot more influence than they actually had. He really did not bargain on how down for the culture war legislation DeSantis actually was. And DeSantis says almost exactly that in like chapter 12 or 13 of his book when he's talking about his war with Disney. He, he, he almost he almost says exactly that same thing where he said, oh, yeah, they <laughs> they thought they had a lot more influence than they actually did. Wrong answer. It is the wrong. And corporations really should know better at this point. This idea of playing every side you can imagine and donating to everybody, that came up during Trump's first election campaign when he was getting grilled for giving money to the Clinton campaign during his election or his re-election. And his response was exactly what happens across the board. He said, I give money to everybody. Thank you for listening to another episode of Wet Wired. We'll be back next time to talk about the wave of Republican populism that DeSantis rode into office. We'll find out exactly how Florida became what it is now. And in the meantime, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at wetwiredpod. Be sure to check our Discord. The link will be in the episode description. If you'd like to get access to premium episodes and help us keep this show ad-free and independent, for $5 a month, you can support us on Patreon. I know everybody hears these Patreon pitches at the end of podcasts and the beginning of podcasts and on YouTube videos. Smash that like and subscribe. Yeah, smash it. Hit it hard. Yeah. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash wetwired. In all honesty, though, like as much as that's a ridiculous joke, I was listening to what was otherwise a great podcast the other day, and I'm not going to call them out because that's just shitty. But this is a very leftist podcast, and they had some really good insight about what was going on regarding some similar subject matter. Again, I'm not going to call them out, and then like that way anybody can that also is here, listens to them will be able to dial this in or anything like that. But they were giving a, a very good leftist-oriented critique, which I tend to think makes a whole hell of a lot of sense. Because this is a class struggle and everybody tends to forget that. And then they broke for commercials and it was a commercial selling gold and silver. (laughs) And I mean, that is absolutely that is just ridiculous to like. I understand the marketplace and the, the world that we live in and everything like that. And they're not choosing their own ads. They're part of this podcast network. And because of their participation and their listenership, their show makes a certain amount of money. But the network itself generates that money by selling ad space. The, the, the show doesn't get to choose what ads are being played when, you know, during, these, these, uh, during these pauses or during these breaks. So it's anything that the network sells is what gets played there. I don't ever want to hear this show that we're recording, that we research and spend our time on and have fun with. I don't want ever want to listen back at an episode and hear an ad for gold. 
from from a purely experiential standpoint, there there were a couple of of podcasts that I that I kind of liked recently, but I I couldn't listen to more than a couple of episodes because the the ads were so jarring and they took me out of it so badly that I I, I literally couldn't listen to it. Yeah, I know that 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 stuff bugs me too. I pay for the premium subscriptions of shit on on almost all of my shit because I I can't handle ads. And so obviously, like a bunch of other shows that follow this same sort of model, we we produce premium episodes as a bonus to get people to subscribe. But otherwise, everything is just there. It's just available. You can just listen to it. And you can listen to probably 75% of what we produce without contributing in any way whatsoever. Then there's that extra 25% that is trying to encourage people to pay a subscription fee for. But yeah, it it really does make this this show possible and it really it really makes it so that going forward we can do more interesting episodes and more of the episodes and dive deeper and uh, even travel. Uh we're we're possibly even looking at something in in uh uh the summer that that could be pretty fun, but you know, th- this this right now is pretty much paying for uh all of the fees that we have to pay <laughs> we're we're basically we're we're br- breaking even at this point with all of our subscriptions no we're not we're not even close see you think we're breaking even because i pay for everything so we're not ba- breaking even at the point at this point <laughs> that doesn't even include our our equipment <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm making true. payments paid, on my you, equipment still <laughs> you you have paid for all your own stuff or are paying for it <laughs> all right anyway it really does help. We we do appreciate it. Until next time, everybody. See you later. Uh, because of that, but on Dana's point here, the last chapter in your book is only six and a half pages long. I think it's the shortest chapter. Uh, but the title is Make America Florida. Now, in your view, what does that look like? And in your timeline, well, when part you, of the reason we did that, Bill, because... Sure. So part of the reason I titled it that is because as we got to the end of 2020, you started to see the hats and shirts and flags in Florida and even in other states. And I had nothing to do with it. Uh, This was all organic where people were basically saying, hey, the country, you know, has problems. Obviously, we've seen that over the last two years, Uh, but Florida can do it right.